it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom Starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is session number five. Thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Tonight, we're going to be talking to Philip. Uh, Philip is a beginning investor, and he has some great questions for us tonight. He is an email uh, list subscriber with Andrew's service, and we're going to go ahead and talk to Philip a little bit. So uh, go ahead, Philip, and ask your first question, please. All right. Well, uh, thanks, guys, for having me on here. Obviously, reached out to Andrew, and it was obviously instantaneously. But for I guess my first question that I really had for Andrew was, I'm kind of, I guess I'm, I'm young. I'm starting my career. Um, I'm 26 years old. Could have probably got into this a little bit earlier, but I would like to say that I'm still ahead of the curve on some people. However, my initial question was kind of, right now, I guess like a starting base. I've read a lot of things, trying to get like the ball rolling, I guess, but wanting to kind of get some feedback on what you guys think is kind of the best route to just instantly start out like true beginner. And so basically that came down to my questions was 401k, IRA, investment accounts, and kind of what's your guys' take on where you guys think you guys should start out with basically. Okay. So first off, a big difference between the 401k and the IRA is that usually the 401k is pretty limited on what you can invest in. Just, just from my own experience and what I've seen, and talking to people, you know, not every 401k will be like this, but a lot of them will just have different mutual funds you can choose from. Sometimes some of them will have ETFs, but basically most 401ks, you will not be able to buy individual stocks inside of them. As far as an IRA, that's kind of on the opposite side. You can you can buy a mutual fund, you can buy an ETF, and you can also buy individual stocks. So there's also different tax implications on each of those. So mm-hmm. you have most most 401ks are like the traditional 401k, which means 
you can con contribute money before the government taxes you, and basically it's not taxed until you withdraw it. You can also do a traditional IRA, which works the exact same way. And then they also have a Roth 401k. It's not as common, I would guess. That one you can, basically they'll, they'll withdraw the taxes from your check and then put it into that 401k after. And then you can do it the same with a Roth IRA, which is something that I recommend for most young people. Basically, you know, you're paying the taxes up front, but then the money will grow tax-free for the rest of your life. So being an optimist, you really hope that the tax rate that you'll have in the future will be much higher than it is now because, you know, you're hoping that your salary goes up over time. So that's kind of why, okay, let's sacrifice. Taxes aren't that high when you're younger. Usually you don't have as big of an income as you will as years go on. So why not take the hit now and let it grow? And when you withdraw it in the future you don't have to pay taxes at that time. So that's kind of why I really recommend the Roth IRA, why I personally have one. And, you know, there's there's like different, I guess, allocations you can do for a 401k and the IRA. There's limits to how much you can contribute to an IRA. I don't know what the exact numbers are. It's somewhere in the ballpark of five to 10 grand, depending on if you're single or married. But with a 401k, you can invest as much as you want towards that and there's no limit. So those are some things that just off the top of my head and then if you had any other things that you yeah. thought of. Yeah, so currently I guess to shed light on my situation, like I, I <clears throat> the differences and stuff, I currently have and have had for the past year is my Roth 401k set up. And I guess I can give you kind of how I have mine set up and I guess thoughts, recommendations. I can give you my thought process. Not that it's remotely could be completely wrong. I, I bet it's not. So, yeah, initial 401k is, is a Roth 401k, and I put, as you said, it's limited, I guess, in some sense. So basically, I just get the my company's match for it. So I put up to that exact percentage always out of my paycheck. And then I came across the thoughts of a Roth IRA, and then I kind of came up with the idea of also just using kind of like a separate investment account. And what I chose to go with was a robo-advisor account. And so basically, my thought process behind that, and I'm, I guess I'm much like contributing to an, a Roth IRA, I could do the exact same thing with that. But my kind of, my pros and cons of what I listed for the investment account was that I could get to that money sooner than, I, I guess I wouldn't have to wait until I was 59. Say if, I don't know, somehow in my life it did something broke, broken, you know, I, I did get a lot of money somehow instantly. I could at least go ahead and get that money out of the account. But I don't, like I, once again, I don't know if that's the best way to plan for the future or the Roth IRA is something I should probably be more focused on trying to contribute to that limit of say 5,500 since I'm in a year since I'm single. I, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So it's really cool that you're asking me this now. The idea exactly like you said about having a taxable, just a regular brokerage account and being able to basically take that money out sooner without paying the hefty fee. I know there's some details in the in the tax laws about how I believe you can take money out of a Roth IRA if it's going as part of a down payment for a house, yeah, uh, like a first-time home buyer. But for the most part, yeah. okay, yeah. the medical bills too. I think. I don't okay, so it sounds like you did some like specific research on it. 
But yeah, like you said, other than that, I mean, you can't really pull it out, and then you'll take a substantial fee if you do. And something I like to, I guess, think about is like, okay, well, you know, nobody lives forever. You can't take it with you when you die. Mm-hmm. You don't know if if you're going to live tomorrow, and, you know, you want to enjoy abundance. At the same time, you also want to balance it because, obviously, we want to prepare for retirement. You want to be able to be financial independent as soon as you can. It mm-hmm. gives you the freedom to never have to go to work. And in reality, you know, having financial independence, which means you you don't have to go to a job, and basically your investment portfolio is sustaining you through income, that mm-hmm. will give you a lot more freedom than, let's say, like having a, a, a bigger emergency fund would. So I think, you know, obviously you want to have an emergency fund and there's debates about whether you want to have, you know, sometimes if you're just starting out, $1,000 is great to have. Every time I tend to get to $1,000, I always have something come up. And so I'm, not, I'm always like replenishing that, which is really frustrating. As you go along, you know, some people like to recommend three to six months. That's kind of beyond the scope of the show. I, I really don't like talking about that aspect too much. But like the way I like to look at it is like, Even not even just having like the money available, but also if you consider like buying stocks in a taxable account and then having that income come in and actually being able to enjoy it, you know, while you you don't have to wait for like 30 or 40 years. So I kind of like the idea of having some sort of like a fun money account where you can basically reap the rewards of the stock market now. And I ran some numbers and. You know, maybe I can post this on my blog. I, I mm-hmm. did share it with my email list. Maybe I'm not sure if you saw that one or not. Basically, as the years go on, if you're contributing regularly to, let's say, a taxable account, your income checks are going to grow pretty fast. So, you know, you're talking about like most dividend stocks are only three percent yield. It's like, okay, well, I put a hundred bucks in and I get a three dollar check for the year. Woohoo, right? But if you're yeah. doing like 150 a month and you're doing it for, you know, every single month for, for years, by the time you get to around, uh, what is it, like year, year 12 or year 15, even without, without even reinvesting the dividends, and we, we talk about reinvesting dividends a lot, even without reinvesting them, just from having dividend stocks that are growing their dividend payment year after year after year, and, you know, that's the big goal of these dividend stocks. If you think about it, the average growth for a stock in the stock market is 10% a year. So that should, in theory, translate to being able to grow their dividend payment by 10% a year because you know, you're, they're growing earnings 10%, so then their stock price is going up 10%, their dividends should go up 10%. So the reason why the income is getting so big over time is, number one, you're saving money and you're doing it consistently, so you're growing this, like you said, like a – like a, a cushy fund that you can draw out of any time, but at the same time, it's producing income. That's like investing 101. That is exactly why we want to invest. It's not so much because we want to become a billionaire from the stock market and, and find the next hottest pick. It's because we want our money to work for us and to pay us income. And so not only do you get the benefit of saving that money and having your income growing every year because you're your pile of money is getting bigger, but also you have the double effect of these companies in the stock market who are all trying to grow their dividend over time. And so you get a kind of compounding effect. So your income kind of balloons 
And that's whether you want to just take the money and spend it and have some fun with it, or if you want to reinvest it and make that grow even faster. I think really it's about finding a balance. And, you know, when you, you and I are talking about the 401k versus the IRA versus a taxable brokerage account, there needs yeah. to be a balance. I think number one priority is the financial future. And you, it sounds like you have that covered with going all the way up to the match, which is exactly what I recommend. It's what I do if I have it available. And then yeah. I think, I mean, for me personally, I want to make sure I'm at least putting something into a Roth IRA, even mm-hmm. if, you know, sometimes depending on how life situations are, maybe you're able to, ma- to max that out. Some people are able to, no problem. Some people aren't. It's really up to you. I mean, I I do my e-letter, and that tracks my personal portfolio. It's a Roth IRA. Invest the $150 a month into that. And then from there, you know, if you have extra income, it's about a personal choice of how much do I want to enjoy now and how much do I want to enjoy later. So, I mean, even at that point, it can really be a numbers game, and you can really see, okay, well, if I put this into a taxable account and, and just do, like, averages, you know, Say, like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe my investments grow 10% a year. If I put in this much, use a compounding interest calculator. Uh, I like to go on uh, Google and I put in compound interest calculator. I always do the, the second choice because I think the number one, I think it was like MoneyChimp or something, their calculator is kind of garbage. But put that in there and just see, like, okay, well, if I put 50 bucks a month into a taxable, it'll probably grow to this much by this amount of time. And then you can also do, like, a dividend kind of thing and see like, okay, maybe in five years I'll have this much of income and I can just spend that on myself. Those are the okay. type of things you can do and look at the kind of decisions you want to make. You can also do the same thing if you're wanting to figure out what to do with an IRA because we can all make goals about how much we want to have by retirement. And so you can do a similar thing and say, okay, well, if I want to, it might be different for everybody, but you know, the big goal might be to have enough money in your account one day to be able to have a nice standard of living all through like a dividend payment that's like a 3 or 4% of your portfolio. So, you know, you can run those numbers and really maybe take some time to think about it. Everybody's going to be different. Everybody's going to either want to go 0 to 100, and I think finding a balance is the best way because you won't either burn yourself out, get too frustrated, sacrifice too much, or not have enough for the future. Yeah, I think mean, that's kind of my idea was the balance with kind of like the 401k match, I mean, my thoughts, and then where I'd start adding to like a Roth IRA, much like you said, just something that's reoccurring monthly, and then kind of have a little money on the side to also do an investment account. Like I said, right now, it's just general investing with a robo-advisor, but then also with, with reading so much into the material um, that you guys post, try my hand, obviously, have yet to do it, but dive in and just maybe buy a stock and just use like a small amount of money to learn just how everything works and kind of get my uh, foot wet. Obviously practice is, practice is key. So <laughs> like you said, don't go zero to a hundred, but try to learn as much as possible as I can. Yeah. And I, I know um, my first stock pick was Microsoft back in 2012. I literally just bought one share. I remember doing it. I was like, it was th- like Thanksgiving and we were like up eight hours North to see my wife's family. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Because then I woke up the next morning, I'm like, hey, you know, my stock went up a percent. This is this is cool. I know, Dave, didn't you 
by Microsoft. I also, did. Dave, yep. was your first. Yeah, that was my yeah. that was my first foray into it too. I bought it uh, three years ago. It was uh, it was actually around Thanksgiving time as well, and it was uh, one stock, and I was scared to death. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What am I doing? But yeah, it turned out great. It's up like I don't know fifty six percent or something since I bought it, which is nice. I don't think I'd buy it again right now, but you know, at the time it was great. And you know, the thing about it was you were talking about the practice part of it. I knew nothing yeah. when I bought that stock. I really didn't. I was like, okay, I want I know I want to buy a stock. I had actually in you know full confession, I had been reading some of Andrew's stuff and I decided that I was going to buy a stock. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know metrics. I didn't know anything about valuation. I just thought I want to buy a company. And I thought, well, Microsoft's a good company. They've been around forever. I know who they are. They're safe and that kind of thing. And, you know, I pulled the trigger and bought the stock and it kind of went from there. You know, learning experiences is, I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago. A gentleman named Howard Marks made a comment on the podcast. He said, experience is what happens when you get when you don't get what you want. And I thought, you know, that is awesome. <laughs> that is such a great, such a great phrase. And it, uh, it really illustrates, you know, practice makes perfect, but you know what? You have to learn from your mistakes. And even the great ones like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, some of those people, you know, everybody makes mistakes and you got to learn from it. That's the, that's the big issue with, with mistakes. So, you know, I applaud you for what you're doing and keep doing what you're doing. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. 
Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You know, it's funny too. I When I bought Microsoft, I didn't know anything either. I literally bought it because um, I knew the new X, I think it was the Xbox 360 was coming out in like six months. So I was like, okay, that, that sounds like a good business thing. So I just bought it. I think it doubled since and I should have really bought like 100 shares. But, you know, obviously that's not not uh, possible and you don't want to do that when you're not confident and have the skills. But yeah, we definitely... Um, we definitely recommend buying the stock, you know, whenever whenever you feel it's right. But it's a good first step and can really help you get your feet wet. True. I guess another question for IRA is obviously you're talking about there's a lot of options, especially with IRA versus 401k. I guess for me, looking into that, A, it's confusing. There's a lot out there. Um, I've also read mentioning you just brought up Warren Buffett. He's also talked about having a very simple portfolio when it comes to like an IRA. Like 90% of 10, 90% stocks, 10% bonds, and it just being kind of like index stuff. Obviously, you're just getting, I'm pretty sure, like average just market, you know, through that, which would be awesome for just an IRA, I feel like, just constantly doing that. I guess, do you guys have thoughts or recommendations on like, the ways to set that up? Yeah, most definitely. So I think you kind of broke up. Can you repeat like the second second half of that? I guess. That's what like your thoughts and best way of like setting up an IRA account just because there's so many options. And then I just mentioned that I mean from what I've read, some people have like crazy portfolios. And then I've read something I mean that Warren Buffett had written that was just 90% stocks, keep it simple, 10% bonds, and basically just like index funds for something like that. So you're just gaining basically market, but the market's gaining. You're not doing really anything risky. You're just kind of getting those gains in a long term obviously account until you're 59, I think, 59 and a half or something like that. Obviously, those gains over time would compound and be very well. But I guess what are your thoughts on like how you would set up an IRA account, like the portfolio-wise? Okay, so you're, you're not talking about like the technical of like going through and depositing money, but you're talking about like setting up a, a portfolio and kind of figuring out your allocations and then fi- figuring out like the yeah, investment exactly. choices inside. The, the allocation asset of it, yes. Okay. So I know you, you kind of touched on robo-advisors a little bit. And I know they yeah. kind of... I've never used one personally. I've seen, obviously, articles and stuff like that about what they do. I think they, they mostly just kind of look at your age and then you give them some sort of... It's like a very non-specific risk tolerance and then they'll they'll give you your allocation based off how much risk. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very automated and, and not personalized and... Basically, you're not taking into account the things that are important. So if you want to make a portfolio and figure out what kind of allocations you want to make within that, I think the mm-hmm. number one thing to determine for yourself is, do I want to spend the time to try to beat the market or am I just happy with market the, the average market returns? So again, it, it can come down to looking at the numbers, using a compound interest calculator, and seeing the difference, the potential difference in return, I'll tell you that, you know, obviously you have the greats like Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, uh, Seth Klarman, those those guys who have all made double digit, you know, some of them 20% a year, 17, 18, 19% a year. Peter Lynch, yeah. uh, another guy who's made, I think like close to 20%, if not 20% a year. 
So Merrill Lynch actually did a study, and they looked over a 90-year time period. They were comparing gross stocks and value stocks, and they saw that the average of gross of I'm sorry value stocks over a 90-year time period was a return of 17% a year. Mm-hmm. So that 5% I mean, actually, 7% difference between the market average of 10% and the value stock average of 17% can be very large. But I'll also say that getting in and buying individual stocks versus just buying an index, it's very time-consuming up front because you need to learn about what all these numbers mean, what all the jargon means, what, what, what's really being told in the annual report. And then also, you, you, you kind of have to be somebody who's good with numbers. I, I think somebody has to be intuitive and really understand. It, it really is just like sick, but the, um, the logic behind it needs to be there. You know, basically like understanding that the difference between a business that's, for example, for sale at like $1,000 and making $100 a year versus the difference of, a business that's for sale for $500 a year, but it's only making $2 a year. So, I mean, if if that kind of simple comparison kind of makes your brain hurt, then definitely stocks, individual stocks would be something to stay away from. And I think a guy like Warren Buffett is so popular. He's so famous, kind of this sort of household name that he can be really giving fully loaded automatics to people when he tells them to buy individual stocks. So when he gives advice, he's really saying for the general public, for your average person who's listening, they should probably go to the indexes. I tend to get really passionate about this. I enjoy reading about it. I enjoy doing simple math on it. And so that's why I teach it. But I always also give the option to people that like, look, if this isn't the kind of thing you're looking for, you can always find a service that a good service that you trust and has sound principles. You can invest in something like that or just simply just buy an ETF covers basically the whole market. There's a ticker SPY. That's an ETF that tracks the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 is the thing we use when we talk about 10% a year average annual returns. So, I mean, I can go further into like stock or bond allocation, but that's kind of like the first step in determining what you want to do as far as position choices. Yeah. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So kind of like a low cost. I mean, I know a lot of people touch on obviously like the Vanguard low index funds, uh, low cost index funds um, being like a great option. So it's kind of the way I was swaying for starting the IRA account and then kind of using my time for the numbers game aspect of it for when I do get into picking individual stocks and using a brokerage account. Yeah, exactly what you said. The Vanguard is like the the chief brand. That's It's the big name that's that's like when you talk about index funds, they are the company. I think they have like over 50% of the index fund capital is into their ETFs. So definitely go with them if you're looking for something like that. And like you said, it's it's something you can always change in the future. But I mean, for the majority of people I would talk to, I would probably recommend they just do that. If I'm talking to like friends or family, I would recommend they do that as well. Yep. Okay. That's good to know for sure. I guess another question for IRA that I've always had, like you say, kind of the same thought process you had with 
like being in a higher tax bracket, I know there's a, say, a salary limit for the Roth IRA, which is what's recommended a lot of times. However, what would happen if someone, an individual, had been investing in a Roth IRA for five plus years or however long, and then their salary does increase to the point where they can't use that anymore? I guess, like, what happens at that point? You're happy about life. <laughs> <laughs> but you still want to put money away. The, the right. salary isn't that high where you're that happy about life. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, yeah, it, it's tough. A way to mitigate that like, would be to like hold for long-term capital gains over short-term. I'm not sure how much you know about that. Um, basically, if you hold a position for over a year, then it, it converts from a short-term capital gain to a long-term capital gain. So let's say you, you hold a stock for a year and one day, and you sell after that year and a day. Uh, you'll get taxed based off the long-term capital gain percent over the short-term. The short-term is much higher than the long-term. So a way to mitigate taxes is number one, not sell until you hit long-term capital gains. What the really wealthy do, like Buffett and the other guys, is they'll just hold and never sell. So if you hold and you never sell, it's an unrealized gain. And so that's never taxed until you finally do sell. And so basically that money is compounding because the company is growing earnings year after year after year. So your capital's at work in the business growing. And so by the time you finally do sell out, however many years later, yeah, it'll be a big tax loss. But I mean, if, if the money's been compounding, it's going to be way more than, you know, if it wasn't. And kind of, <laughs> I you know, I had some tax questions with my tax guy because I just, I did them the other day. Yeah. He said, you know what, like, you want to pay taxes because that means you've been successful and that means you're making a lot of money. So I think it's a great program for people trying to get wealthy. Uh, once you do reach that point, you know, it's yeah. it's something that it's like a first world problem, right? Um, yeah, very true. I mean, it's definitely not a bad problem to have is to earn too much to contribute to the Roth IRA. It's just I didn't know if it was like you're forced to, I guess, you can't contribute to it, so like you're saying, just leave the money there and let it compound, or I guess it's just you can't add more to it. I don't know. So, like, would you be better to go with, I don't know, a traditional IRA where you could still be putting the max in each year if you thought that you were going to get up that high? I'm not sure. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not a tax expert. I don't know. I'm, I thought that the income limit was just for the IRA in general. I, I could be wrong. Um, obviously, if, if that's not the case, then going into a regular IRA would be ideal because then you're you're getting at least one tax break, right? Yeah. I mean, the traditional or the Roth gives you a tax break on one half or the other, whereas a regular brokerage account, you're, you're paying double taxes. Yeah, I believe that the tax limits, the contribution limits apply to both a Roth and a traditional. It, just, okay. it has to do with the... The income for the Roth is the kind of the restrictor, if you will, where there is no in, mm-hmm. there is no income restrictor with a traditional. So that's kind of the differentiation between the two. Yeah, I know that like after the Roth, like for the Roth area, it's like I don't know, it's like a hundred, like it's like one hundred twenty k or something, uh, something around there. I don't know, but after you get above that, I think that's like the income. I think limit, I believe. I don't. Yeah, that is. But I don't know. Yeah, that 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 is the income limit. So. I don't know if, like, if you think in the future you are going to earn more than that, you should, like you said, put it in the traditional where you could keep investing that money into that account. But yeah, I mean, 
So the the money that you invested into the Roth wouldn't be like a sunk cost. It would still be there. You just wouldn't be able to add to it, but it would still be compounding and growing because of your investments. And then, like you said, from there, once you reach that point, you could go into a regular traditional, and at least you're getting that one half of the tax benefit. Okay. That makes sense. I got a question from reading Eating the Streets. Obviously, Peter Lynch talks about a bunch of... Basically, he's obviously very heavy. He says a lot of times that obviously if you're willing to ride out the market, that you I mean, don't need to take out your money. You should be basically heavily, if not 100% stocks. What I guess kind of what thoughts do you guys have on that? And I mean, especially for like an investment account or something like that. What are your thoughts on, I guess, allocations of like, say, 100% stocks if you don't need to take it out in the next 10 years or so? Like you're not really depending we're going to need to do that. Obviously, he talks about stocks earning more over time, so in the long term. So obviously, that's an interest as well. So, I mean, obviously, I'm the, the stock market guy, so I go, I'm 100% in stocks. But even if I mm-hmm. wasn't, just based on the age that I'm at, you know, mid to late 20s, I would recommend for my peers and, and colleagues that they would do the same thing if they can understand the basics of how it works, understand that, a bull and bear market, they're just cycles, and it's not like, <laughs> it, I don't know, it's, 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 like a, it's like a woman. It's not like you're, you're going to never have problems with her. Um, <laughs> the same with the market. You're never not going to have crashes. You're never not going to have a bear market. You can't just think that you're going to put money into it and that it's just going to grow, you know, at, at like this nice straight line that's consistent and just, that it's just you're always going to check your account is growing. That's definitely not the case. Yeah. That's you have to be okay with, right. you have to be okay with seeing fifty uh, percent of that disappear, and then know that over time It'll come back. They will rebound. <clears throat> exactly, and uh, really, the big gains come from hanging on, and then you know, going from losing fifty percent to gaining. You know, a lot of times it will gain more than what it lost. So then, really, you're seeing the gain of. If you're, you talked about earlier automating contributions and investments. So imagine yeah, if you're doing that every single month. Exactly, yeah. If you're doing that every single month, then you're buying after it dropped 50%, and then you're going to have a recovery after that where it's probably going to go not only the 50% it lost, but even much higher than that. So that's where, that's why people get so excited about stocks because those are the kind of returns you can make. We talk about, having an allocation of stocks and bonds, being young again is why I say you really have to have a time frame of like even 20 to 30 years because even Japan right now, I think they're going through like a, a two-decade bear market. It's, it's probably one of the worst, if not the worst, one of the worst we've ever seen in the history of any sort of stock market. And, you know, we've had stock markets going back to the 1800s. So you really want to have a really long time frame and you also want to understand that something like a government bond historically has averaged around 5 to 6% a year. And like mm-hmm. I said earlier, the stock market is more around, more around 10%. So that difference in return is why, as you're younger, you tend to put more into stocks. And as you get close to retirement, people tend to go more into bonds because that's safer. And you're, you would really be damaged if, if the market crashed. So you want to put more into bonds at that time. Yeah, and I guess to kind of to kind of add on to that, it really I think the big thing it comes down to for you, Philip, is to figure out what your risk tolerance is with all this. My thought is, if you have bonds already covered, 
or you know some sort of safer investments already covered in your 401k, then that can kind of cover it. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that you're younger and like Andrew was talking about too, you know, you're looking at a long time horizon here. I'm in a different boat. I'm 50 years old, so I'm older and I have a lot less time left before I retire, you know, live out my golden years, so to speak, and then die kind of thing, not to be morbid, but you know, so, but I'm, what I'm really looking at is I'm trying to set up my daughter for her retirement. And so I have a really long time horizon when I'm looking at my investing. And so I'm a hundred percent stocks too. I'm like Andrew. I'm a, I'm a stock guy. The bonds to me are kind of a different beast and it's not something that I have chosen to really delve into a whole lot of. And so I have them in my 401k and that for me covers that, you know, asset class. And so with investing with stocks, you know, I look at it as, you know, a long-term, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so I'm looking at it as a long-term race, and I will continue to add to my portfolio as I go along, find other companies I want to invest in, sell a few here or there that maybe underperform or don't do well, and just kind of go with it at that. But it really kind of comes down to what are you comfortable with when your risk tolerance? What can you invest in and sleep at night and not wake up at 2.30 in the morning freaking out because, you know, you're worried about how a stock is doing. It really comes down to that. Okay. Good. That honestly might be all that I have. I'm trying to think. You covered, obviously, putting in some each month, 401k Roth investment account. Um, I guess in my situation, obviously, I know I've read a lot of your articles and stuff like that. I mean, I guess... Like I said, I'm starting down this path and, you know, I start to kick it off. I'm trying to do, uh, Andrew's four steps to, you know, four steps, the steps for beginners over here. So reading all these books and stuff, I guess any, any advice that you guys personally just give beginners that are in my shoes. Read, read all of Andrew's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're, I mean, that's, that's mic drop. I mean, what else is there to add? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Philip. That is how I started. I, I started reading, you know, all these things online. I came across Andrew's, uh, you know, website, loved it, fell in love with everything he was uh, writing. You know, it really kind of struck a chord with me. And I kind of branched off from there. I started reading, you know, the Benjamin Graham books and, you know, the Peter Lynch books and Seth Klarman and just about anything I could get my hands on that involved value investing. And it just kind of blossomed from there. You know, there's all kinds of websites that I look at and I listen to blogs and I just kind of immerse myself in the language. And that's really, I look at it as a language. And I have immersed myself in that language to try to learn, you know, the speak and how it works and how everything is interconnected. And, you know, once you, you, you strike me as a very smart individual and I think, you know, it won't take you long to figure this out. And, you know, it, as you go along, you'll just pick up more and more influences as you will. Andrew wrote a great email the other day about influences. And I thought that was really right on the mark. It was awesome. Uh, You know, I'm a musician by trade. I have a lot of great, you know, musician uh, influences. Jimi Hendrix is one of my heroes. Steve Ray Vaughan is one of my heroes. And you sit down and listen to me play and those come out and when I'm playing and, when I look at my investing, you know, Warren Buffett's a big, you know, hero for me. And so, you know, I look at a lot of things he does and I follow a lot of the advice and guidance that he gives me. So anyway, that, those are my two pennies worth, if you will. Okay. I'll add to Philip, something I did that just kind of came up right now that I remembered is I kind of dipped my toes in a little bit of everything. So I read Beating the Street and that made me realize, hey, reading about investing can be kind of fun. And it's really up to anybody out there who's listening is whatever, however you like to 
absorb this information is, is, is how you should probably perceive and how and what Dave said about this is being a very long race. It's it's a marathon. It's something that is not going to happen overnight. So if you're a podcast person, you know, slowly branch out, listen to more podcasts, but also dip your toes. So I'm talking about not getting deep into like the jargon and the techniques, but like understanding what's the basic concept that's behind indexing, even trading, trend following trading, value investing, growth investing, and whatever else is out there. I kind of use that. And once I found my little niche of, of what really spoke to me, that's that's when I had the confidence to be like, okay, I can put serious money into this because number one, I kind of sampled what's out there. And then number two, I found what speaks to me. And it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, not everybody's going to want to spend time on this. Maybe you just want to set it and forget it. And that's cool too. But again, dipping your toes and then at least getting the basic concepts, understanding the importance of diversification, long-term investing, and and the importance of, of investing consistently. With those three principles, and it, you know, I say it now and we just, you, we, you just heard it in like five, 10 seconds, but that doesn't really show an understanding. If, if you really have that understanding, then you'll know when things go bad, you won't be calling your broker or your advisor and being like, I'm freaking out, get me out of here. Um, so understanding just those basic concepts at first and then maybe dipping your toes. I talked about podcasting. There's also a lot of good blogs, websites out there. And there's also there's video format and then there's books like we talked about. So I, I recommend if people want to kind of dip their toes. I remember reading A Random Walk Down Wall Street, which is kind of has a lot of contradicting ideas from what I personally believe, but I think it was important for me to understand those. Um, Number two is Trading Wizards is a really cool book. Basically, this guy went around and not didn't talk to investors, but talked to like traders, day traders, people who you think of when you think of the, the kind of guy with 10 computer screens and going in and out of positions really fast. So he basically interviewed... I don't know if it was like 10 or 20 people and they had a lot of very insightful things to say and a lot of it actually mirrors what we talk about with value investing. They just call it different things. So uh, they call position sizing, which is the same as us doing diversification. So that kind of stuff. And then also following what me and Dave teach with the value investing, the Warren Buffett approach, the Peter Lynch and the Benjamin Graham approach, just getting a basic feel for those. And with all of that, just seeing what speaks to you and just go from there. I mean, learn a little bit every day, try to try to just absorb it over time. And, you know, you're starting out, you're doing great. And I see no reason why it's not, you know, even if you screw this thing up, just putting money away and, and letting it work for you in one way or the other is still going to leave you in a far better position than honestly, a majority of Americans. Very true. Great, great advice all around. Okay. All right. Thanks, Philip. We really thought this was a good session and it was good to hear. I like how you said it was a very beginner mindset. And even though maybe to you, you sound like a beginner, a lot of the questions you have were spot on and it's being in the right path of improvement. And so I think that's a good sign and um, we really wish you the best. Oh, thanks. And yeah, thanks for taking this call, especially, I mean, got you an email yesterday and here we are. So, you know, (laughs) kind of, that's really cool that 
you guys could make that happen and uh, all great answers and make me rest easy. It'll make me rest easier when I'm, you know, trying to go in the right direction that I obviously am. Thank I appreciate you. all your guys' feedback and help with everything. You're welcome, Philip. We enjoyed having you on today. You did a great job. You asked some awesome questions, and you know you're doing you're on the right path. You know everything that Andrew was saying about you, I, I agree with. You know I'll concur. You're on the right path. You're doing the right things. You're asking good questions, and you have a thirst to learn. And I think that's something that will you know give you great dividends as you go through life. And I encourage you to continue to keep doing what you're doing. Just remember that you know we all have to start somewhere. And we all started somewhere, and you you know, have two great resources here. If you ever have any questions, Andrew and I are both here able to help you if you ever have anything else that you have questions about, okay? All right, sounds perfect. Thanks, guys. All right, well, thank you very much, Philip. We enjoyed having you on here today, and I guess that'll do it for us today, folks. Thanks for joining us, and have a great rest of your week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.